0: Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty. I'm Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome as my guest, Ms. Marie Guinez, who is a physical therapist with the Department of Neuromedicine and Movement Science in the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences in the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Welcome, Marie.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Today we're going to talk about an article she and her colleagues published in PTJ. It's entitled, Adherence to a Long-Term Physical Activity and Exercise Program After Stroke. I'll do a a brief summary, and then we'll talk about the study. The objective of this study was to investigate adherence to an 18-month physical activity and exercise program. It's a prospective longitudinal study of 186 participants who were three months after stroke. They came from a randomly allocated intervention arm of a randomized controlled trial. The authors also investigated whether participants' age, their sex, their degree of functional dependency, cognitive function, or goal attainment influence their adherence, as well as the extent participants achieve their individual goals related to physical activity and exercise. The intervention that we'll be talking about consisted of individualized monthly coaching by a physical therapist who motivated participants to adhere to 30 minutes of daily physical activity and 45 minutes of weekly exercise over the 18 month period. Adherence to the physical activity and exercise each month ranged from 51 to 73 percent and from 63 to 79 percent respectively with most of the exercise performed at moderate to high-intensity levels. Uh, And over time, adherence to the physical activity increased by 2.6% per month. This is a really interesting study, Marie, and my first question is having to do with your physical activity and exercise dose. You were focused on 30 minutes of physical activity seven days a week, and 45 to 60 minutes of exercise once a week. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose this level of activity and exercise for your subjects?
1: Uh, Yes, well, uh, as the main objective of this long-term intervention was to maintain motor function over time, we know that physical activity and exercise in general are highly recommended to achieve this in the chronic phase after stroke. And, well, different guidelines recommend somewhat different amounts and intensities of physical activity and exercise after stroke. And uh, the Norwegian guidelines, for instance, they recommend that stroke survivors in the chronic phase Um, they should perform continued or accumulated exercise at 60 to 80% of maximal heart rate for 10 to 60 minutes, 2 to 5 days a week. And while the U.S. guidelines recommend a frequency of training about 3 to 7 days a week for 20 to 60 minutes a day at a level of 50 to 80% of maximal heart rate, So the levels of physical activity and exercise that we chose for this intervention, well, they were approximately in line with this um, range of recommendations, um, even though we chose somewhat higher doses of physical activity. But at least to my knowledge, uh, no previous research has shown any negative effects of high levels of physical activity in the chronic phase after stroke. However, the amount of exercise are probably not regarded as a very high dose, but we also had to pay attention to the fact that the amount of exercise should be feasible in a very long term follow up. And well, also previous research has shown that um, just about an hour of exercise a weekly seemed to be enough to maintain motor function and to sustain cardiovascular fitness over time.
0: I was interested that one of the unique aspects of your study was to follow your subjects for 18 months. That was quite a long follow-up period, so I can understand why you chose the levels that you did. Let's talk a little bit about your intervention program. Your therapist gave regular individualized coaching And you note in the article that it's inspired by motivational interview techniques. Could you describe the intervention a little bit and the techniques that your therapists were using?
1: The intervention consisted of regular individualized coaching, as you say, and well, even though we did not perform motivational interviews per se, it was inspired by that technique. And, uh, well, during the monthly meetings between the participants and the physical therapist, the therapist, they focused on identifying facilitators and barriers that would affect the patient's ability to adhere to physical activity and exercise. And, well, for instance, the therapists were aware of communicating with the patients with uh, reflection and with active listening and with open-ended questioning. So the subjects, they, they really had to be active and they had to reflect upon their own activity habits. So, well, the aim during these conversations, that was to build up patients' confidence and to sort of empower the patients to actively participate in making the best decisions for their individual training schedule and also to identify realistic personal goals and to take responsibility of their own recovery. And uh, well, this is in line with the main goal of this intervention, which was to change the mindset preferably also after a follow-up and to really give the subjects some motivation to a physically active lifestyle.
0: Could you talk a little bit about why you chose a mix of face-to-face and phone meetings between your therapists and the subjects?
1: Well, according to the protocol, um, the first six meetings, they were planned face-to-face. But during the next six months, every second meeting could take place as a phone meeting, if they preferred. And during the final six months, four of the six meetings could take place as phone meetings. But this was uh, optional. And while well, considering that, um, the thought behind this intervention was to establish independent activity behavior and for the participants to really take responsibility of their own training program. We thought that um, the face-to-face meetings were especially important in the first phase to establish good communication and, well, a relationship of trust. Um, However, we thought that after a while we could expect the participants to be more independent and taking more responsibility of their own activity behavior. And uh, considering the long-term goal of establishing good training habits, uh, and hopefully beyond the duration of this intervention period, we we offered less face-to-face meetings and more meetings conducted by phone. So, well, that was mainly the thoughts behind this.
0: It makes, it makes very good sense. In terms of the data on adherence, your subjects completed training diaries, yeah. and you also did some assessments by the physical therapists of the subject's adherence. How did the subject diary data compare to the therapist's data, and did you have concerns about the validity of the diary
1: data? Well, I understand your concern about the validity, because uh, we know that self-reported measurements, well, they have some obvious limitations, such as um recall bias and social desirability bias. And, well, they are vulnerable to being inaccurate in a way. So, If we compare the use of self-reports with uh, objective measures, we know that we should be cautious about under or overestimating activity levels. And, well, in people with stroke, um, overestimation of physical activity seems to be the largest challenge, according to prior research. However, there are many uh, benefits of choosing uh, training diaries in such a long-term follow-up study as this. And, well, um... Training diaries are a simple and quite inexpensive method to register adherence in a long-term perspective and reviewing training diaries on a daily basis, as the participants were encouraged to do, what well, we think that uh, this probably helped to ensure adherence. So my point is that training diaries was not only an outcome measurement, but it was also uh, an important part of the intervention. And well, as you mentioned that in the study, the physical therapists, they, they reviewed and they reassessed these training diaries every month. In addition, they assessed an overall estimation of patients' adherence in separate adherence forms. And, uh, actually we did a sort of a post hoc analysis to investigate the difference between participants' self-reports and training diaries exclusively and the combined measurement. And the results showed that there were quite small differences, actually, after adding the physical therapist adjustments. And, well, the largest difference was seen in the beginning of the follow-up period, um, in which we saw a lack of reporting in the training diaries by the participants. And, uh, well, these deviations might be due to the challenge of reporting in the diaries, because, well, I, I believe that some participants probably use some time to get familiar uh, with this uh,
0: yes. concept of reporting. Well, that makes sense. And as you note, diaries have been used in much other exercise and physical activity research. And over 18 months, I can understand why it was an attractive approach. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surprised. 18% dropout is what you experienced over the 18 months. It's actually quite good, from my experience, for such a long follow-up. And you you reported that those who did withdraw were older, so no surprise there, and more men withdrew than women, almost twice as many men. Why do you think that finding surprised me? Why do you think you lost that many more men from the study?
1: I don't know if I have a very good answer to that. It might have been a coincidence. Um, However well there might be differences between men and women regarding what sort of appeals more when it comes to physical therapy intervention and well this intervention has a more communicative approach so well that deviates some from the traditional physical therapy maybe and uh, well there might be simply different preferences between men and women and um, what also struck me was that only female physical therapists were participating in this trial at all sides and well, considering that the intervention lasted for such a long time as 18 months, I believe it is quite important that you sort of connect with your therapist or that you build a trustworthy relationship and some might connect easier with a therapist um, with the same gender as themselves and well maybe this explains why some more men than women withdrew but as I mentioned I, I find it quite difficult to draw any general conclusions and these are only my, my personal thoughts.
0: Well, that's interesting. Your point about same-sex versus different-sex therapist versus subject is not something I had thought of. And it would have been interesting if you had some of both. You could have then maybe looked at that. But that's something for future research. Yes, Moving on to your findings, I also was very interested that when we looked at your physical activity and exercise levels, the levels were stable and and even slightly increasing across the 18-month follow-up. That surprised me when I compare that to other research, and I wonder why you think you were able to achieve that result.
1: Well, probably uh, the results indicated that, well, elements from this long-term follow-up program actually enhance adherence to such degrees. Uh, resulting in an actual increase in physical activity over time. And uh, well we might think that self-monitoring your own behavior uh, by the use of training diaries and participant-centered coaching techniques contributed to enhance adherence to such degrees that we achieved in this study, and of course we did not have such detailed information of activity levels among those participants um, in the control group, um, however, at 6 and 12 and 18 months follow-up, we actually recorded the amount and intensity of physical activity performed by the participants in both groups by a questionnaire called the International Physical Activity Questionnaire. Well, those results showed increased activity levels in the intervention group. But with that said, I think it's important to underline that. These were secondary outcome measures of a larger uh, randomized controlled trial. And, well, this current study had an observational design, so uh, we cannot draw any conclusions only based on the intervention arm.
0: Am I correct in remembering that the level of intensity was lower than you had hoped for? And if so, why do you think that occurred?
1: Uh, The results showed that it seems to have been challenging to reach high intensities during exercise, and while well, we think that this might be due to the fact that uh, many patients with stroke they experience different impairments, such as hemiparetic gait uh reduced balance, fatigue or depression after stroke. And well these are common impairments that might be barriers to perform high intensity training. And uh well in addition, I um I would like to add that we experienced that some of our participants, they expressed that they were quite afraid to push themselves beyond comfortable limits. So some did not have any experience in exercising with high intensities and In retrospect, we have discussed in our research group that, well, we probably should have been teaching some of the patients what high-intensity training actually feels like. And then the participants would have been maybe more confident and felt safer when performing this on their own.
0: It makes sense. It's consistent with your other finding that subjects with a higher degree of functional dependency were less adherent to the physical activity and you also showed that older subjects were less likely to adhere to exercise. Both of those findings made sense to me, but I I was surprised that women were also at a lower level of adherence to the exercise. Did those findings surprise you and your your colleagues?
1: Yes, we were quite surprised that women were associated with uh, lower adherence to exercise than men. And, um, well, uh, I find it quite hard to answer exactly why this is so, but uh, in general, prior research has shown that gender might be a predictor of physical activity, with men showing greater levels of activity than women in the in the general population. And, well, it seems that women are more prone to perform moderate and vigorous activities. But why this is so is is still difficult to answer, and maybe this has something to do with some fundamental differences between men and women, regarding what appeals to us when it comes to physical activity and exercise. But it also struck me that it might have something to do uh, with generational aspects. And by that I mean that maybe women of this generation, which was participating in this study, have had more responsibility within the family and are more physically active through domestic work and, and so on. And maybe also some of the men from the same generation might have a history of more physically demanding jobs making them more familiar with uh, vigorous activity in the first place. However, I think that future research is needed to determine the causes of these associations.
0: I'm actually fascinated by your gender findings. Men were more likely to drop out, but those who stayed in were more likely to do more exercise. It suggests to me that you might want to design somewhat different interventions for men versus women going forward.
1: Yeah, I absolutely follow you on that.
0: Uh, My last question has to do with the goal attainment. The subjects did not achieve the level of uh, goals that they had uh, set forth. And I wondered if you thought those were because of the levels of adherence that we've already talked about and the lower levels of intensity or something else.
1: Well, we think that the low degrees of goal achievement um, might be explained by by several factors. We saw that the physical therapists, in collaboration with the patients, they had a tendency to uh, incorporate somewhat over-ambitious goals and uh, often they had a quite long-term perspective as well. For example, uh, a participant could have a goal of catching the bus independently and well then it might be hard to sort of see the link, or at least the direct link, between that goal and the actual training program which maybe was consisting of walking or balance training so maybe focusing more on intermediate or short-term goals would have enhanced both the motivation of achieving goals and also enhanced the adherence to physical activity and exercise further some chose quite vague goals uh, that remained unchanged over time because some well some found it quite hard to define new and more specific goals in addition some of our participants, they had some cognitive impairments, um, making it difficult to communicate and also to remember goals. And, uh, well, this might affect their ability and motivation to achieve goals. And, uh, well, finally, the goal attainment scaling that we used, it actually appeared to be a quite demanding tool, both for the therapist and for the participant, because it requires some experience, and uh, some therapists might find it a bit hard to Predict outcomes as this uh, tool actually requires.
0: Yeah, I agree. Goal attainment approaches can be challenging. Well, I want to thank you, Ms. Guinness, for taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I enjoyed reading your uh, and your colleagues' article. And I want to thank you for publishing it in PTJ.
1: Well, thank you so much for the conversation. I I really appreciated this opportunity.